It's Wednesday, the 27th of November, and this is the Monocle Minute. Today, Georgia is rocked by massive protests. We'll look at what's fueling unrest in the former Soviet nation. Plus, Netflix snaps up a cinema. San Francisco punishes lazy landlords with a new empty shopfront tax. And our editorial team looks at why good retail is all about giving people a reason to get dressed and get out. I'm Ben Ryland in London. The Monocle Minute starts now. Georgia has been gripped by protests in recent months. This week's, however, have been the biggest so far. Police responded with water cannons on Monday, and at least 28 people were arrested. At issue is a dispute over the mechanics of democracy, specifically when Georgia should introduce proportional representation. But that seems to have been just the spark in tensions that have been simmering for much longer. Stephen DL is a regular Monocle 24 contributor and follows developments in Georgia and the former Soviet republics closely. What sparked off the demonstrations originally back in June, on the 20th of June, Sergei Gavrilov, who is a Russian, he's a member of the Russian parliament, was in Tbilisi addressing a, uh, a, a congregation of uh, Orthodox Christians from across Europe. And this was taking place in the Georgian parliament, the, the, the conference. And he sat in the, the Georgian speaker's chair. Now, given that the relationship with Russia is exceedingly tense, it has been since the breakup of the Soviet Union, but particularly since 2008, when Russia invaded uh, South Ossetia, which is in the north of Georgia, uh, and has occupied um, part of that territory, and indeed has, from time to time, moved the border even further into Georgia. Relations with Russia are very tense. So this was, perhaps one would say, a foolish thing for him to do on his part, but even more foolish for him to be allowed to do it with no real protest from the Georgian parliament. So that's what got people out onto the streets on the 20th of June. But very quickly, it turned into a demonstration against the, the, the ruling party, Georgian Dream, which has the, the biggest majority, it's a coalition that has the biggest majority in parliament, and a call for proportional representation. At the moment, the Georgian parliament is elected half on proportional representation, half by constituency. So the demonstrators very quickly turned this into a call for, actually, you know, this is what we really want. This is what it's really about. It's about having proportional representation throughout. And as, as soon as the 24th of June, so, so very quickly, only four days after it all started, the leader of Georgian Dream, Bidzina Ivanishvili, said, yes, we will put forward a proposal to Parliament where the 2020 elections, so next year's elections, will be held according to proportional representation. So it, it had very quickly morphed into that. Demonstrations nevertheless carried on throughout the rest of June and into July, but then it calmed down a bit until September because of the appointment of a man called Georgi Gacharya, who had been the interior minister, so therefore responsible for the way the demonstrations were put down in June. He was appointed prime minister, and that brought people out again and now we've got them out yet again in November. News this week that Netflix has taken over New York's Paris theatre certainly comes with a distinct whiff of irony, but if we look a little closer at the details and at history, it does make a little bit more sense. In 1948, the great Marlena Dietrich cut the ribbon outside New York's Paris theatre to open a screening of the drama La Symphonie Pastorale, which had won the Cannes Film Festival just a couple of years earlier. It was around this time that Hollywood's golden age reached its peak. 
Sweeping changes in the law that governed how much control studios had over their films would come into effect throughout the 1950s. That, combined with the rising dominance of television, would ultimately end the old Hollywood era. In Hollywood's early days, the only real competition film studios faced was each other. But MGM, Warner Brothers, Paramount, Fox and RKO didn't just battle on the merits of who made the better film. They also fought with competing distribution strategies. Back then, studios operated with their own network of theatres too. When Paramount released a film, it would be distributed to Paramount theatres. This tight control gave the big five studios unrivaled power to decide what moviegoers saw at the pictures and how they saw it. But in 1948, just as Marlena Dietrich was cutting that ribbon outside the Paris, a federal antitrust ruling forced the major film studios to, among other things, relinquish control over their network of cinemas. And with that, everything changed. If a film production company owning its own distribution channel sounds a little bit familiar, well, that's where we find ourselves back in 2019. Netflix, along with Amazon, Disney Plus, and all the others, have effectively replicated this business model, one that was declared illegal back in 1948. There are enough key differences, of course. Distribution is no longer a chain of cinemas, but instead an app on a phone or television. But the ultimate effect is astonishingly similar. If old Hollywood was a highly concentrated place that heavily favoured the big five film studios, well, what do we call an age where Disney can claim nearly 50% of cinema ticket sales? And we won't even begin discussing Disney+. Plus. News this week that Netflix has taken over New York's Paris theatre certainly comes with a distinct whiff of irony. But it does make sense. Despite swallowing up Hollywood's old business model, there's one thing the age of streaming has so far failed to replicate. A sense of occasion. Algorithms may have made it easier than ever to find something to watch, but kicking back in your pyjamas, as cosy as that might be, simply doesn't lend a film the same degree of wow as velvet seats or a glitzy premiere. So is all of this a bit like Amazon's Jeff Bezos buying a bookshop? Well, yes, a bit. A worrying sign, no doubt, for those looking to make a profit from cinemas without the cosy fallback of 60 million paying subscribers. There's no escaping the harsh reality of economics, though. The business model that built grand old picture palaces simply doesn't work anymore. Netflix's purchase may be a bitter pill to swallow for the purists among us, but it's a lot better than yet another bingo hall. To San Francisco now, where a new plan could see blank shop space subjected to stiff penalties. New York might be the epicentre of the so-called retail apocalypse, but San Francisco is suffering from vacant shop fronts too. As a result, the city has agreed to ask voters next year whether they should impose an empty shop front tax. The tax, which would be determined by shop size and duration of vacancy, would punish landlords who sit on empty properties in search of higher rents. Skeptics warn that the tax won't solve all the city's woes, as municipal red tape encumbers filling vacancies too. If San Francisco voters do decide to move forward when they head to the polls in March, cities everywhere will surely be keeping close tabs on how effective it proves to be.
And finally today, our editorial team looks at why good retail is all about giving people a reason to venture outside. Last week, I went shopping during a short trip to New York. I had a particular shop in mind, but it isn't registered on CityMapper, and it took me a while to locate it. Eventually, on a quiet street in Chinatown beneath the grass-green awning bearing the words Ming Beauty Salon Inc., I found it. The new shop by the menswear brand 18 East. Inside, where massage tables and nail baths once stood, there were now racks of chunky roll necks and pleated trousers and wooden pallets laden down with beanies and totes. Whoever says New York retail is dead hasn't been to Chinatown, a patch at the bottom of the world's most famous island with an intoxicating mix of chaos and calm. Other recent menswear additions to this neighbourhood, such as Bode and Aimé Léon Doré, are in more prominent spots. Yet there's a definite sense of discovery here. The most unlikely shopping spot, which I first visited a couple of years ago, is a series of retailers on the top floor of New York Mart Mall, a Chinese shopping centre, near Manhattan Bridge. You must pass dozens of thronging food vendors and ascend a raggedy staircase before reaching a lovely record store and several vintage boutiques. This sense of adventure is partly born of necessity. Rents are cheaper if you're hidden on the top floor of a mall or tucked away on a sleepy side street. But in an era when everything is at our fingertips, it's exciting when shoppers have to work to find the thing we want. We just need a nudge in the right direction. And that's all in today's program. You can read and subscribe to our daily email bulletin at our website, monocle.com. I'm Ben Ryland. The Monocle Minute returns on Thursday. Thursday.